You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Welcome back to another episode of Intellectual Erection. While this is a special episode, we are giving you the full interview that we did with Lola Jean. You heard just bits of this interview in our squirting episode, but here we talk to Lola not only about squirting, but also about sex work, which has not been heard previously. This is part of a set of two episodes that we will be launching this month as we prepare for the second half of the fourth season of Intellectual Erection Together to bring you episodes on sex and spirituality, sex and biology, and a bunch of other goodies. So in the meantime, you'll have two episodes with interviews like this one to listen to until we come back with our thematic episodes. And as always, listen, subscribe, review, and most of all, enjoy. My name is Lola Jean. Um, I I mean, I go by really any pronouns, but I guess she, her is easiest for how I present. I'm I'm on a little bit of a new journey in my like gender identity that I'm figuring out, but it's probably like gender queer, agender, something around there, but it's like, and so I'm figuring it out. Um, but yeah, I wear, I wear a lot of hats, many hats. So right now it's a sex educator, fetish wrestler, occasional pro dom, and, and then as we know, the world record holder in volume squirting. And even looking to, I'm in the middle of creating a product for not only squirters, but people that experience incontinence or people that want to have period sex or any kind of messy sex or things like that. But as you were saying, I didn't feel like I was my experience was represented. I didn't feel like uh, like the way that people were speaking about squirting really just didn't sit well with me. And I wanted to provide something different. I wanted to try to speak to people who didn't feel included within that. And that's what I try to do with really a lot of my work. I try to challenge norms. I try to challenge perceptions that are out there um, and just really ask them to what if. So I'm really curious about the record. But before we get to that, I think that a nice way to kind of get into the topic of squirting because we just finished doing uh, doing a bunch of research on the academic literature around squirting and I'm pretty sure you're familiar with it and you have your your stance on it uh, and it's kind of all over the place so if you were to begin any sort of talk about squirting what are the first things that you might say to kind of introduce the topic before getting into anything Well, what I usually lead with is that, you know, why are we here? And it's because we know absolutely nothing about squirting. There are some, I guess we can call them academic studies and research, and I'm curious about your opinion about them too. But a lot of these have, they have really small controls. It's like, oh, we did a study of seven people. That's not really a study. Um, And also for like, what is the, what is the control? Um, Have these people squirted before? Because if they haven't, like, if you would have put me in a study when like 10 years ago, I wouldn't be squirting. But if you put me in it now, I would be. So it's also a learned experience too. And I think squirting in particular is just a very difficult thing to study unless you're studying certain people who reliably squirt. But even given that a control has to be the same for each person. And 
each person can sport differently. So it's, it's just a very hard thing to study. But I think when people hear that, they're like, oh, a study happened, it was science, therefore it's correct. But even one scientist made conclusions that because the bladder filled with liquid, it must be pee, which isn't necessarily true. <laughs> um, just because something fills with liquid doesn't mean it's a certain type of liquid that's usually there. Um, so I more just try to get people to understand that science can't tell us everything. Case in point, that's why I set the world record is because I broke science. Yeah, you I did challenged that science. They said yeah. how much liquid was possible for a bladder to release. And you were like, what, beat that by like 300 milliliters or something? Yeah, yeah. It was like nine, 900 or 950 and I squirted out 1250. So I, and that, cause that was thought to be how much the human bladder could comfortably hold. So I want to let people know that science can tell us a bit. It can't tell us everything and we should still be questioning it. Okay. Since we got on the topic, then I want to know about this world record because are there other contenders out there? Are you the only one that was up to, to is this like a Guinness world record? Is the, is it in that category at all? And who are you competing against? Or was Myself. It- <laughs> I mean, actually, you know what, when I initially had, cause I love doing performances. I love competition and I love things that are really campy. So initially before the world record idea, I wanted to have like squirt wars, which was going to be like double dare, but was squirting. And we had to fill it above the line. You know, it wasn't double dare. And I was like trying to find someone else that could squirt the way that I did that had control over it. that could do it in high volume. I think I found one friend who was a fellow pro Dom and that was something I was trying to set up, but it, it never happened. But that was like the initial idea of it. I'd love to compete against someone else. That, that's probably going to make me, I could probably do more than 1250 if that were the case. I introduce you to a contender. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'd be curious. I think I might have to get, I think I might have to measure this really just to see where I stand against you because I don't know what's going on with me here. There's a lot, there's a lot of liquid, but yeah, yeah, if we want to set that up and you need a contender, I I volunteer. <laughs> yeah, or I'm just even curious about like how much you can because like before, honestly, before the world record, I didn't measure it. I just knew it was a really insane amount. And this was something that didn't exist. There was no record that had been set regarding volume. And it's something that can't exist within Guinness because they're a family organization. So I did the whole process and applied to like set a record and what the stipulations were, the time constraints, all that. And then they rejected it because they're like, we can't do that. So basically read around the internet and figured if I had enough witnesses, journalists, and I still did this to like Guinness standards for like the measurement and the timing, um, the witnesses and all of that, then it would be true. And I broke science. So we know it's definitely a record. (laughs) Wow. That's so incredible. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've been on so many podcasts. You have so many um, pieces of content at different tiers, at different like accessibility points for people to get uh, an understanding of squirting. And so I feel like to you at this point, this is just so common knowledge. You've talked about this so many times, but for the listeners that maybe are super new to this, yeah, I'd love to pull back to what you asked originally about what are the the main points, the main things that somebody should know about squirting if they're joining in on a conversation about it. Yeah. And I mean, to be clear, there's, there's a lot of things that I've said a lot of times. And in my, in my lecture, I call questions I'm tired of answering, which are mainly the, is it P and could everyone do it? But that being said, there's still always things that I'm going to learn, discover um, through my own body, other people's bodies, their experiences or questions. Um, Case in point, like, a midwife who came to one of my classes was the one that clued me in that um, when people's water break, it smells very, very similarly to how I described squirt smelling, which is super interesting. Um, but 
the, a couple things that people really need to understand and know, and I think that will like debunk a lot of what we commonly think about squirting probably via porn is that you don't need something penetrating you to squirt. You don't need something touching your G spot in order to squirt. That's one of the biggest misconceptions. And that's also a big reason that I tell people to use like foot suction toys or air pulsation technology, because firstly, it just gives your body no chance. Like for people where it's like holding back or not relaxing, like the toy doesn't care. Uh, and so many people will squirt from that. And it proves them one, you can squirt your body squirted. I don't care if it was a toy, a person, a dildo, a penis. If you squirted, it was your body that squirted. It doesn't, you can, you can, you know, you can do that now. And if you do that with a toy, especially it proves to you, you don't need something penetrating you in order to do that. So it's really about the sensation and then finding ways to replicate it, which are just going to be really different from person to person. So this whole come hither bullshit, some people might like it. Um, a lot of people don't. And a lot of people have really sensitive G areas and a lot of people come hither way too hard, aggressively or fast. And that is not the end all be all for squirting. Well, I think you want to say something about the, the clitoral stuff. I think we were talking about this. Earlier. Yeah, well, I'm curious because, you know, people are obsessed with talking about the G spot, which a lot of us, may, well, maybe not a lot of us know that isn't actually a spot. It's a whole tube-like area covered in erectile tissue. And yeah, people, I think, have this idea that you touch this spot and all of a sudden you're going to magically start squirting. But lots of people, like yourself, based on what I've heard, your preferred method is through clitoral stimulation. And some people are able to squirt without even using their hands at all or with any other type of stimulation. So I guess what I'm curious about is, it's not a technique. Is it just a mindset? Um, a it's a little bit of both, but it, I, I want to also like take the people that are like, oh, you just need to relax. Well, if you relax, you'll squirt. Like if it were that easy, if they're that easy, people just relax and then they would start squirting. And that's the only thing that's holding them back. But there's voluntary and involuntary squirting. And that really means there's there's some people where they're not going to have to actively use any of their muscle engagement and it's just going to happen. And all those things are gonna go on autopilot. The same things are still happening, it's just on autopilot. And for other people, they're gonna to have to have a role in that process. So the muscles aren't going to you know, contract and lengthen on autopilot, they're gonna to have to actually engage within that. Um, so technique a bit, it's really just learning the body's process of doing this. And because it's something that maybe your body hasn't done before, there tends to be a little less trust in it. Well, what if like I'm holding it back because what if it does something I don't want it to do? I'm not aware of this happening before. And usually things that are unknown tend to be a little more scary to us, especially within that area. Cause what's firing is the pelvic floor. And yes, the pelvic floor is responsible for orgasm and squirting, but it's also responsible for urination and defecation which are two really large sources of shame for people, especially if you involve them with sex. Mm, yeah. Well, did you have, you have something to add? Yeah, well, I know we hear a lot about like Kegel exercises and like pelvic floor strengthening. Would you mind explaining maybe the difference between uh, pelvic floor strengthening versus lengthening or coordination, which is something that I know that you talk a little bit about? Yeah, and I really credit to um, Dr. Rachel Gelman, who's a pelvic floor therapist who I met through ONUT, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with them, it's a really wonderful company that helps like reduce vaginal pain by basically putting a bumper on the dildo or penis or whatever that's like penetrating. But um, Dr. Rachel Gelman really introduced me to the difference between 
you know, contracting, lengthening and where dysfunction lies because everyone's talking about kegels and strengthening and that can be a really important part of it and process, but even a really strong pelvic floor can be dysfunctional because it's contracted. Mm -hmm. Oh, did I freeze? No, I just talked over you. I said, yes, dysfunctional. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, So even though if something's contracted and it's fully contracted, and you need to contract more. It's like, I've already, I'm already at the, the pinnacle that I can't do it anymore. So it's not just the strengthening and the contraction that's important. It's also the lengthening and actually the lengthening part. So if you're contracting, it's shortening, you're lengthening, it's elongating. And then there's a relaxation in the middle of it. That lengthening part, that's what's happening when you're squirting, whether you are controlling that or it's happening on autopilot, but even more so when you're engaging with your pelvic floor, it also just should increase your pleasure because when you contract, that's engaging with your G area, that, that tube-like bundle of erectile tissue. And when you lengthen, it still should feel pretty nice. Um, these are all engaging with that area and your clitoris all at the same time. And I think that's why a lot of people, myself, it sounds like you included, enjoy the clitoral stimulation because you're able to engage with the G area, with the internal clitoris, by using your muscle groups and connecting that through the clitoris externally. I feel like cis men in particular are so obsessed with this for a whole bunch of reasons. And they think that it's something that somehow they're doing, that they're responsible for what it is that's happening for the vulva owner for this to happen. And yeah, I think I want cis men in particular, but you know, for the rest of us too, to have a better understanding of the pelvic floor and what's actually fucking happening here and that yeah it's not that come hither motion it's not me feeling so comfortable around you that's leading this to happen like there is there, there's something else so yeah if you want to go for it more by all means yeah I mean in general orgasm squirting all of these things like we're not making our person do any of that but we can have a really large role in it we can assist in the process we can really lead up to that um, and it, maybe it depends on, again, if it's the body on autopilot or that person having an assist within that, I like to call it the alley-oop where, you know, they do most of the work, but I knock it in, but especially, I mean, really what squirting gave me as much as I kind of hate it a bit too, what it gave me and what I'll always love it for is that it gave me this understanding of my body, of my vulva, specifically of my pelvic floor and understanding that gave me so much more control over my pleasure obviously it gave me control over my squirting, but I wasn't a very easy to orgasm person. And that's because I was just like, people do things to my body. I let them do to my body. And like, they make me orgasm or they make me do this and that. Whereas when I start having a little bit of control and I start using my muscles and I start doing different things, I'm having not like a crazy amount, but I'm having more orgasms than I was before. I, it's hard for me to tell you without a toy of like, how many partner orgasms I've had that didn't involve at least a little bit of me making a particular effort with my body to get me there. Yeah. So, I mean, in regard, especially in regards to people saying like, you know, making someone squirt, assisting in the process, wanting to do this, it's really a conversation of asking yourself and asking your partner, like why you want this to happen. If, I mean, it could be curiosity. I want to experience what it is. People seem to be making a big deal about it. I'll make my own opinion after that. Maybe it's really underwhelming. Uh, But if it's that, you know, I think it's really cool. I want to see it. I want you to do this. Putting any kind of immense amount of pressure on sex is going to make that not fun. (laughs) We should really go into sex just wanting to have a good time. I've been with so many partners where 
they get upset if I don't orgasm or I don't squirt or something like that. And it's like, well, what about me? I'm also, I'm not upset that that happened. I just want to go in and have a fun time. Maybe I'll orgasm. Maybe I'll squirt. Maybe I'll do something else that I haven't done before, but also maybe I won't. The important part is that we just have fun and take these goals out of it. And I think, well, there's a difference between being goal oriented and outcome oriented because we can have goals. We can go into sex and be like, I really want to try anal. I would like to um, try to squirt today. I would like to try to do this, but it's when we're outcome oriented, when I don't maybe achieve those goals, then I get upset or my partner gets upset. That's when there tends to be more of an issue. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I love the idea of asking people to be a little more honest with themselves about why it is that they're choosing to explore this. If it is to satisfy somebody else's ego, or if it's just curiosity within their own bodies, I think that that's really important to be thinking about. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm, I've met a lot of dudes who go around boasting that they know how to make just about anyone squirt. And that has traditionally bothered me. I've talked about it on the podcast before, just because I don't think it's your badge to wear. And it's, and you speak it's, from personal experience, right? No, I never went around <laughs> saying stuff like that. Uh, what I know is that it's a technique that's learnable by just about anybody. So you're not special if you learned a technique. And that's no reason for you to go around claiming that you can apply that technique universally to just about everyone. Because not everybody can squirt. And honestly... I bet you that this, those people, cause there's so many of them too. They're like, I can make everyone squirt. I bet you that they, the people that don't squirt with them, I bet you they invalidate them. I bet you they neglect them. I bet you be like, oh, it's your fault, not mine because I make everyone squirt. And like, that's shittier than make than, than making yeah. anyone squirt it's is like, doing oh, you that. Must, you must have these psychological, like, uh, you know, uh, barriers that are preventing you from yeah. being comfortable or that, that kind of language. I've heard that shit before. And, yeah. and then uh, it's kind of like, oh, so it's all about you. Yeah. Cool. Like if anyone says that, I mean, if anything, it's like, oh, thank you for telling me I'm going to avoid you as a lover. Yeah. Well, this segues nicely into the first official question that we wanted to ask you with regards to squirting. Um, I guess I could start with a little bit of the research that we looked at because you were interested in, in what we found mm-hmm. and kind of our perspective on it. Uh, we saw that squirting has been documented for over 2000 years as far back as Aristotle in 300 BC to fourth century Taoist texts to the Kama Sutra to uh, 16th century where the quote unquote female prostate was discovered. And then a whole bunch of science uh, up until 1952, looking at the prostate and looking at the, uh, uh, was it Gaffenberg spot, G spot? Mm-hmm. Looking at the G spot, right? So the contemporary literature is just trying to basically keep up and and find distinctions and definitions between the types of fluids that come out of vulvas. And right now, the latest studies are trying to differentiate between what's traditionally been labeled as female ejaculation, which is related to the so-called female prostate. Yes, and I prefer to refer to these, uh, first of all, the prostate as the vulva prostate and uh, vulva ejaculation, as opposed to attaching female, because not all people who have vulva yeah. are female. But yeah, the, the distinctions that we found so far is that the ejaculation is related to the prostate, and it's supposed to be like a milky white substance that is similar to 
Seminal fluid. To right? seminal fluid that come from testes, but minus the sperm. Mm -hmm. Then that squirting is related to the bladder and it fills up with liquid. It expels that liquid. There is some concentration of urine in it, but it varies. And there's also some prostatic fluid in there. And then there's urinary incontinence, which is just basically somebody who uh, has trouble holding their bladder and may expel urine from sex or from stimulation. So those, those are basically what the studies have kind of said so far. And I wonder what your take is on those studies. Uh, I know you have an opinion on that. And then the lead up question to that would be why you think squirting has become so popular? Yeah, so for ejaculation, yeah, it's technically something similar to seminal fluid where it's like milky white, viscous, not very high in uh, the, you know, the volume of it. This is also something that we're not sure if everyone can do. Um, I've definitely seen some people have it. I don't think I've done it. I think one time someone thought I did. I'm like, yeah, that's discharge, baby. I got BB. Uh, oh my <laughs> God. Which is such a funny kicker where they're like, oh, I made you ejaculate. I'm like, no, I have bacterial vaginosis. <laughs> like that is what it was. You gave me BB, boo. <laughs> <laughs> Most things do. It is a fickle bitch. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's yeah it's a I mean that's all that's another episode but I have a whole thing on BV just because there isn't a lot of information about that either so that's they're technically due to two different things we also don't know if everyone can do it um I'm also fine with people calling squirt ejaculate because ejaculate is a verb and yeah. it's not necessarily like projecting from the body it could just be falling out but I'm I'm fine with people using those interchangeably whatever um but in some of those studies, so you were saying within finding the squirt fluid, there was that um, prostate specific antigen within there. So we know that squirt is deaf. There's definitely some parts of it that are coming from the prostate glands, which is not the same as a prostate as someone who has a penis, because that is more of an object kind of that we can feel. Whereas in someone who um, has a vulva, these are glands, they're ducts. So it's a bunch of erectile tissue that surrounds the urethra. So, you know, we all have the same shit before we get that X or Y chromosome. And then it just finds itself in different formats um, as well. So we know that some of it's coming from there. And there are two scientists I pull from Dr. Laura Merritt and Dr. Jana, and they both are different camps. You know, Dr. Laura Merritt, it's like all squirt comes from the prostate glands. And Dr. Jana is like all squirt comes from the bladder. I think it comes from both. Firstly, we know that some stuff is coming from those prostate glands, absolutely. But the, it cannot possibly house as much of the liquid as is going to come out. Um, but it's not the, the skin, the skin glands, I mean, naming it after another male scientist, right? Um, <laughs> but the prostate glands can't possibly house all the liquid that's coming out. The prostate glands also will drain into the urethra, which is the vehicle for anything that comes out of the bladder. So that also might be why people, they feel like they might squirt, they stop their sexual activity, they go to the bathroom, they pee, they're like, oh, well, I must have had to pee because a lot came out. If you don't squirt, it's going to drain into urethra and come out through whenever you urinate afterwards. Um, but the bladder filling with liquid during arousal, which, you know, some people like to call it diluted urine. Um, there are properties in there that are present within urine too, but that doesn't mean it's the same fluid or if it is diluted. Um, even in the coloring of it, squirt tends to be a lot cloudier. 
it smells different. Um, that's the thing that the midwife was saying between like your water breaking and pee. Cause people don't know they don't, the liquid comes out. They're like, I don't know what I just did. So she's like, smell it. If it smells like pee, you peed. If it smells like wheat or bran, then your water broke. So if you squirt it, smell it. If it smells like pee, maybe you peed. If it didn't, you probably squirt. But regardless of that, if it felt good, you probably squirted. Our bodies don't want to pee during sex. And I have gone between peeing and squirting and peeing and squirting. And it was not easy. Well, yeah, I want to yeah. know why um, why we're so obsessed with squirting all of a sudden. feels yeah, like it's so everywhere. Popular. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's trying to do it. Everybody's claiming that they're the squirting master of making other people do it. Like, why, why is this happening? And why is it happening? And there's still no research if everybody's so obsessed with it. Because there's no money in squirting because there's no boner pills to pay for. It's the same reason too. It's even with like, why don't we have more research on, even on like, we could find a cure to herpes, but the thing is it's not fatal. So why do it? Um, so if it's, if it's not going to kill you and then there's no money in it, then yeah, no reason to. And you can make more money from having pills that prevent outbreaks than from having cures. There you go. Exactly. Um, so I think people are obsessed with it. One is it's more, it's more in our periphery. So like we're seeing it in porn. So we know it exists. I didn't know it existed for a long time. And the only place I could find access to it was porn. So that's going to be a lot more present, but it's also, it's a physical manifestation of pleasure. And I think, you know, we have this epidemic of like people, well, especially like straight and cis women are, they're not orgasming as much as their trans or queer counterparts. And for these people then becomes squirting becomes an equalizer of like, it is physical proof, not necessarily of an orgasm, but a pleasure. So it's kind of like this championing thing. And I think a lot of people who have vulvas are feeling like this is another trick that I have to do where I already have pressure that I need to orgasm. So my partner can feel validation that they gave me pleasure. Now I have to do this thing, which, you know, the reasoning behind it shouldn't be, so my partner feels validated that they gave me pleasure. It should be that like, I want to do it or it feels good or whatever that may be. And the, I think the obsession, it, it keeps going back and forth. And it's the same thing with orgasm. It's that it's this loop of who is it for? Am I orgasming? So my partner feels validated and like, are they trying to give me an orgasm? So they feel validated. So it's like, who who is this even for? Um, you know, why are we faking orgasms? And for, I mean, sometimes in porn, they fake squirt. A, a lot of the time they don't. Um, usually they're not urinating. It's usually like douche or something that they've um, put and held inside their vagina and let it go. But sometimes it's also very much real. Um, so I think it's it's just another, it's, it's another trick that people with vulvas feel like they have to be able to achieve in order to give their partner pleasure validation and I think it's something that it makes specifically cis men just feel more competent and more validated that's instead of making someone else feel good it's making them feel more validated so it's an ego boost for cis men basically that's why that's why they're obsessed with it and then the popularity is traced uh, from what I'm hearing through porn through being more aware and open about squirting and then turning it into a sort of parlor trick where now people with vulvas feel the pressure to squirt as a performance act. Yeah, and I'll tell you this much, like I squirt a lot and it doesn't help my relationship with people at all. I don't feel more connected to them. It doesn't make our sex better. If anything, it maybe makes it worse because they, you know, 
I squirt very, very easily. So they get their validation very early. And then I'm like, Hey, I'm still here. Um, yeah. Or even the fact, like, because I squirt usually pretty regularly, if there's ever a day where I don't, it's like, Oh, are you okay? Did I not do a good job? Or blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, it's just my body and it's something it does. And it's something it usually does. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily do that, but it's not, it, it squirting specifically hasn't made my life better, but it was the process that led me to squirting and the awareness of my pelvic floor that maybe made my life better. Mm. I'd love if you're down to get into maybe why you're not so into it or what kinds of problems that, uh, yeah, come up yeah. with you around it. Cause I'm curious to see if any of our experiences are similar. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really big divider. So one thing is just going to be that like, I don't have time for anyone that is going to shame me or act like it's a nuisance. Cause like, it's a thing my body does. And if I had more control over not doing it, I would use that, but I don't. <laughs> so it's something that's a divider for people where if they're they're going to shame me if they're like, could you not do that? Oh, they complain about the mess all the time, or they start questioning my body. That's now something that I'm just like, cool, I don't have time for you. I'm not going to see you anymore. You've shown me your cards. Um, there's also going to be other people that completely fetishize it and are obsessed with it. Um, or if they make it about their ego, or if they make me feel bad, if I don't do it, those are other people where it's like, you show me your cards. So it whittles down my dating and sex bowl a lot, um, which is, you know, that could be a blessing or a curse depending on it. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's unfortunate and it's unfortunate of people's reactions to it. I want it to more so just be indifferent. Um, it's also just annoying because of the mess of knowing that like, there's a certain amount that I have to prepare anytime I want to masturbate. If I go to a sex party, um, if I go over to someone else's place, like I usually have a puppy pad in my bag, like a girl scout at all times, just in case, but there's still like an amount of as much as I prepare, like having to be conscious at all times, like, okay, I think we filled up this puppy pad. We need to change this out. We need to like, I have to be conscious of what's coming out of my body instead of just being able to like, enjoy it. Oh, I, I relate so hard. I mean, people are like, oh, but it must feel so good. And yeah, okay. Yeah. Sometimes it does, but most of the time I don't feel anything at all. To be honest, I think a lot of people are really confused about what the difference is between an orgasm and squirting and kind of like get, think that the two of them are the same thing more often than not. And this has happened quite a few times for you and I, Pat, where we'll be having sex or we're about to have sex. And I'll be like, wait, can we just go to the bathroom? Can you just finger me over the toilet so I can just squirt? Let's see how much we, of it we can get out. So yeah, drain that the stream. Way. Yeah, let's just like see how much of it we can deal with. I'm still going to squirt again, probably a couple of times, but at least we've dealt with like the most of it. And yeah, it's so frustrating. Not because I'm ashamed usually of what other people are going to think about it because we are situationally monogamous right now because of the pandemic. And yeah. like, you know, you're pretty great. I like being with you and you've never made me feel bad about squirting or have like taken on this weird badge of honor because of it. But like what makes me feel out of body or whatever is the planning aspect thinking about like, Oh, like what's going on with my mattress. This Tempur-Pedic was so fucking expensive. Like this is just annoying. 
Yeah. And it's like there, you know, there are solutions for it, but it still doesn't take away being conscious of like, oh, is it going outside of this thing that we laid down for it? And, you know, an interesting thing is like what doesn't help the case is I feel like people who are like newly sorters are just really loud about like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And it always feels good. And novelty is a thing too. And when you first start squirting it the first couple of times you do, yeah, it probably feels really great and it's new and different. But once you start doing this regularly or you've been doing it for years, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, it feels like, you know, kind of good, but like, so does a sneeze. Uh, yes. Like- so does a sneeze. <laughs> but yeah. But honestly, sometimes a sneeze feels better. <laughs> yeah. What does it feel like for you? What is the experience of squirting feel like for you? It depends. It depends on how much buildup that there is too. Uh, and I, I mean, honestly, it could be similar to a really good sneeze because it feels like a release. So it feels hmm. like I had a sneeze that's been coming on for a while and then I can finally sneeze or I have an itch that I haven't been able to get to. And then I finally get to that itch. And there's definitely been certain points where I'm like with a partner and we're fooling around or we're like, or we're going to like end or whatever it is. And I just feel like, oh God, there's stuff in my body and it just needs to come out. Like this has to happen. Um, Similar to like this sneeze needs to come out. This itch needs to be scratched. Um, But you know, and sometimes it's a kind of pathetic sneeze and sometimes it's a really good sneeze. Yeah. Oh man. So, I mean, we were, I was so curious to ask you this, but I think you've already answered it already because if you had the answer, you would be doing this and you would probably be telling everybody about it. There's no off button, huh? there's no way to make this not happen there are and honestly it's something that's what I'm still exploring because that's like oh it's the question that breaks my heart from so many people that I get they're like how do I stop doing this and I'm like oh I wish I had a better answer for you I mean for me so like the Hitachi magic wand really overwhelms my body and it's something that I don't really like that often but but because it overwhelms my body so much my squirt valve kind of goes off during that. So maybe finding a sensation that overwhelms your body. Um, it could be even when something's penetrating me, it's a lot harder to squirt. So maybe that's something that you can involve more um, or maybe something distracting, like having doing something anally. Um, it's really just exploring with different sensations uh, and different whether it's sensations that overwhelm you, sensations that are different, putting things in different holes. And that's, it's, it's going to be different for everyone. So there's not one solution. Like other people, Hitachi magic wand might make them squirt more. Um, so it's not going to be the same for everybody, but trying to experiment with different overwhelming sensations, whatever that is to you, or maybe, maybe more things penetrating. So maybe, especially if like, if it's your partner has a penis, sometimes it's hard to keep that inside when you're trying to squirt because you are lengthening the shit out of your pelvic floor. So maybe you need to like put a dildo there and have that person just hold it in with all of their might. Yeah, but when we do that, we hold it in, we hold it in. And as soon as that thing comes out, I've got like one second, Blood is hates. it gonna happen? Is it, and then I'm like, yeah. fuck. Yeah, happen, like having the the dildo there, your penis there. The, the yeah, it, it, it's the plug. It keeps yeah. everything yeah. in place just for a moment, and then like, <laughs> it, it's everywhere. <sighs> Sometimes it's like funny. I think there was one time not too long ago where I we were having sex and I squirted on you, and then you pulled out whatever I squirted, and then you kept fucking me, and the squirt that was like around to you get to your face in the face I kind of love it when it splashes in my face though because it's like my body is so powerful and it does this thing like I 
I always, I kind of like that though when it hits me in the face. I think it's hot. I, mean, <laughs> I thought it was too. so funny. I was I like, like, okay, this I can get behind. This is like a whole situation. Yeah. Like, this is funny. The, the whole thing has gotten me way more into water sports than I ever thought I would be. Like, I want all the fluids on me now. All of them. Take it away. All right. <clears throat> well, when I first started doming myself and I was looking for uh, resources and spaces to develop techniques and really just hear from a multitude of doms about how it is that they practice, I came across seven days of domination. <laughs> so I would so love if you shared a little bit about this project and the two wonderful co-founders that you create with and yeah, why it is that you've created this. Yeah. So Mr. Shayla, Lady Euphoria and I, we had gotten together like before the pandemic a while ago and it's something we're still working on um, called the Rehab Center for Insecure Adults. And this is something that is non-kink related. It's not sex related. A lot of the instructors might happen to be dominatrices, but it's about building confidence, about understanding power, rejection, boundaries, all of these things that can have something to do with sex and kink, but really have nothing to do with that as well. And this is something we had been working on for a while. And when the pandemic hit, that had really just like thrown it in for a loop. We were gonna do stuff in person. Now we're moving it all online, doing a lot of filming. Um, and in April, I think we were just talking and we we're like, hey, maybe we could try to do this thing where it's like little clippets of different topics within domination. Maybe we can like make our friends some money, you know, at minimum, we could just break even and have a good time. We want it to be really accessible to sex workers. Let's give them a crazy discount. And we did that just expecting it to be a little thing and it blew up. Um, and especially of the resource we were able to give to sex workers in the community. So we've done it now. We've done four different um, volumes of this. Our fifth one's coming up in late June. And it's something we're going to continue. And it kind of funnels like all of our profits there. We donate 25% of it and then or about 20. And then the rest of it's just going to go into the Rehab Center for Insecure Adults and paying um, our different educators and lecturers and things like that. So it's really wonderful what we've created. And I think it's, I mean, it's an excellent resource for sex workers, but also people that aren't because it just introduces you to such a large diversity of topics, but specifically also styles. Um, I think a lot of people think there's one way to dominate, but especially because we have, you know, seven different people, every, a different person every single day of the week. And they're all so different and they're all so skilled at different things. Um, and really just opening your eyes to that. So it's it's been really fun and rewarding. And selfishly, we also just get to like ask people we really admire and being able to learn from them ourselves too. Yeah, it sounds like uh, I've participated in, I think the first or the second volume, something that I purchased afterwards and thought it was so incredibly cool. Um, and yeah, I think that's really awesome that people are being exposed to different types of domination styles because of course we know the standard. People think that, this tall woman in leather is going to be, you know, humiliating you and all this, but the kind of domination that I actually practice and what I'm trying to build is a soft dom. And I'm like very caregiving and very nurturing. And that's kind of what I'm more into. So I don't necessarily want to learn how to do any fancy shibari ties, but I want to learn more about the psychology of dominance and the psychology of power and really, you know, focus on like consent and communication with my clients yeah. and that's something that I've been able to to find a lot of through your programming and the kinds of humans that you gather together so I think that's yeah. fucking sick and I think it's it's actually really indicative of like how we should be seeking our 
you know, life partners, sex partners, relationship partners is similar to be how we should be seeking our kink partners or even our clients is that we're all going to have a specific style that resonates with us. And we should put that out there as like a calling or like a bat signal to people who that resonates with. We shouldn't be trying to fit into each other's molds. We should be finding ours and then finding someone who's called to ours. Yeah, totally. Well, let's talk about your style and let's maybe talk a little bit about what the heck fetish wrestling is. Yeah. So my, I'm so bratty in general. And I think before I'm really competitive, I also like to be campy. I like to be silly and funny. Um, and that honestly, my style fits so well with fetish wrestling. So once I found wrestling, cause I kind of started wrestling, pro doming all that at the same time. And then once I found wrestling, I really gravitated to it because I was like, I get to be physically competitive. I get to trash talk. I get to do all of this verbal and mental that I really enjoy. And it's all encased in this like simple fetish, which, you know, it can manifest itself in totally different ways, but it really housed all of my interests well. So fetish wrestling is different than regular wrestling and MMA, and it's different than WWE. And a really simple way to describe it is, so there's different, there's different types of things that people can request. Very common ones are competitive or semi-competitive. And the difference between those is with competitive, both of us can overpower, but in semi-competitive, only I can overpower and they can resist. And that's a huge draw to it. It's feeling the resisting, feeling the struggle. It's not really about brute strength but it's about this slow movement because we don't want to get hurt. And if you just go at it with all of your might, that's not necessarily going to be good for the other person. There's a reason that we start on our knees and doing this. And through that, I was able to learn more body control and movement because I'm strong, but I'm still a very small person. I'm five, three. So if I'm going up against men that are, you know, six foot four, 200 pounds, I'm going to need some technique. So I was able to learn jujitsu from my trainer and co-teacher LT. And they taught me a lot of things that I just, I have my tool belt now. I'm not the most skilled person, but I have what I need to submit people, to work around people. Um, and it's very much a chess match. It's, it's, you need to like sit take the time and learn how to do these things in order to execute them. Um, but it's given me more awareness of my own body, how my bodies relate to other bodies kind of spatially. And really it's just super, it's really playful. And it's something I think it's fun to do with strangers, which is why I will do it professionally. But I think it's also fun to do with, with lovers as well. So and most of my lovers don't want me to do that. Cause they're like, you're going to crash, crush me. You're going to kill yeah, me. Yeah. You've got all that technique now. You're gonna yeah. that. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I think it's so cool. I like that too. I think it's uh, it, it plays into a wheelhouse of primal play that I really enjoy. It sounds like so. I, I think it's super hot yeah. to like get you know aggressive and physical and then have you know sexual nuances to that. I think is is really hot. yeah. LT and I just finished on Monday. We filmed um, the Quick and Dirty series to play fighting. So that's something that's going to come out probably in like a couple of months too. Wonderful. Can't wait to see that. Mm -hmm. I love the quick and dirties. They're so good. <laughs> so we have two sort of questions around the economy of sex work, online sex work. Yeah. And the, the first question, actually, do you want to tackle this one? Because I want to ask this one. That's kind of like, sure. Yeah. So you can, you can go ahead. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really even know how I feel about this question, but okay. Well, first I want to know how long have you been a pro dom is this like new within pandemic times or were you seeing like in-person clients before this 
before this and it, I've been, so I've been doing sex work and pro doming for, I guess it has been five, maybe more somewhere five or over years. And it's something that it's like, I have all these different parts of my business and they all fluctuate of what I'm doing more and less. So in the beginning, it's probably a lot more pro doming, a lot less sex ed and other things. And then sex ed kind of took the the high tower there. And then in the pandemic, it kind of went back again. And it was a bit more sex work than it was sex ed. Um, when I travel, I see a lot more clients than when I'm in New York. So it, it fluctuates and I, it's not my primary source of income. So, you know, it's definitely something that's, it's, it's always going to be there and I really enjoy it. Um, but I do have a definitely I'm privileged and have the luxury where it's not my primary. I hear you. So obviously during the pandemic, there has been an upsurge in online sex work, people getting into it out of necessity, loss of work, but maybe also interest, being able to spend more time alone with your fantasies. Like maybe that's helped a lot of people realize that getting into this is something that they are interested in doing. What do you say to the people who think that being a sex worker is easy work? Oh, I mean- specifically I'm just like thinking about like online sex work and I'm just like oh that's so difficult for me or trying to do like sessions online or even of like the work that goes into night flirt only fans I won't even judge for how much work that is but also I mean personally for me I I'm only comfortable with a certain level of accessibility and only fans is way too much accessibility for me um but I mean, even for that, I'm like, I will do custom clips for people. I do like trash talk clips, but a lot of the online work, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's even really tough for me to some, a lot of people to do the online doming. Um, some people really, it only translates to in-person or they have trouble with it outside of that. But, you know, there's, there's a thing called new girl money. So if you are newer to sex work and you're a new face, the dom collectors will be out there and maybe you get a little bit of traffic then, but it's not as simple as I'm here, I'm dominant, give me money. A lot of people might make it look that way, but there is a lot when it comes to fostering those relationships, um, making repeat clients, making people feel comfortable, preparing. Um, the amount of time wasters, the amount of canceled sessions I've had is probably more than the amount of actual sessions that I've had too. Um, or just people that really get under my skin and get under my nerves. Um, there, I mean, like there's so many hazards of the job in general, but I think during the pandemic, a lot of people see it as something that's, that's easy for them to do for a short period, but they might be, have the luxury of doing it for a short period of time and that not being their primary source of income. Yeah. Well, then this ties into the question that I wanted to ask. This is kind of putting my academic hat on. Um, I wonder what you have to, what your thoughts around this. And uh, it might not be a question that you could answer right away if, if it's not been something that you thought about. So feel free to pass on this one. But it's something I'm personally curious about is whether you think sex work is inherently capitalistic or if it's somehow subversive to capitalism. This is an interesting one because I will be the first to say that like, I don't think I really understood socialism, capitalism, and the differences between those un until probably early in the pandemic, until I started dating my current partner, who is just like a socialist through and through, um, maybe even borderline communist. And it really started to make sense. But I used to even say things when when people were like, oh, are you a Findon? I'm like, no, I'm a capitalist. Like, here's my service. You give me that money. And 
I, I do think that it is inherently capitalistic because, you know, supply and demand, that's how we're going to also one justify setting our prices for certain things. And even when we get into more specialty or, okay, if I'm going to do a session where I poop on someone, I only got one poop in me a day. I got to prepare for that. Like that's going to cost more money because of all of those other reasons. So, I mean, until we're in a society that can, you know, pay us adequately for services, protect us, all of that, like sex workers are amongst the least protected people who are continuously targeted by the government under the guise of, you know, trying to prevent sex trafficking. So it's, I mean, we have to operate under this capitalistic society within that way. Um, A lot of times people are like, well, why don't you give these services away for free? It's just like, well, (laughs) the government's not paying me for it. So like, I have to like, yeah, I feel like everybody should know about consent, but like, until a company pays me for that, like I have to charge people for it. So I think it is inherently capitalistic, especially amongst for, you know, the the client to provider relationship. However, because of how marginalized these groups tend to be and how it also just tends to be also majority like POC, trans, a lot of individuals that are shunned by society, there also is a very large community that's present. And you know, it's, it's probably more present in pro-dom communities than it maybe is amongst escorts or strippers or other types of sex work. I know some of them tend to be a bit more volatile than others. Um, but because of that, there is a really large sense of community because we're the only ones that are going to protect each other. Um, no one else is going to protect us at the end of the day. So because of that, there, you know, there might be a little bit of like socialism tendencies from within that, but and. I mean, until this country and world changes, we kind of have to operate in a capitalistic way. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with what you're saying here and it makes a lot of sense. This is why I'm curious from lived experiences what sex workers actually feel like they're doing because I don't think it's quite escapable to be outside of capitalism when you live in a capitalistic society. Um, but my tendency towards subversion, the reason I popped that in there is I believe that because sex work is outside a a legal gray area or it's in a legal gray area um, that it has subversive qualities to capitalism because it highlights the problematic aspects of capitalism in showing exactly the transactional approach in showing the the sense of like money and exploitation to the forefront of of the, the sex worker client relationship. And in that, I think there is a sense of, of subversion. And I think that that subversion is kept alive through something like decriminalization. And I think it would be entirely subdued through legalization where now all of a sudden, all the subversive qualities, all the power and empowerment that you're talking about Winston, in terms of community uh, uh, of sex workers goes away when the government starts to have policies that govern your body and your choices. Yeah, I mean, I think we're a well ways from legalization, even if we look at sex workers in Amsterdam where things are legalized, things are still very less than ideal for them, which is why I think people are so behind the decrim movement. because we're like, we don't want the government more in our shit. Um, because I mean, now we're looking at police, like why should we, tri- why, why should we possibly trust them? Um, and I think that has to largely also do with how our society views sex. I think particular forms of sex work are very subversive. Cause even if you think about FinDom, <laughs> can probably it's my roommate's dog okay she's gone um but even if we think about fin dom that's particularly subversive because this is something where it might be individuals who 
you know, subscribe to a capitalistic lifestyle. And they're like, but I'm not happy. What's wrong? I need the answers. So they have to go to a dom who's going to have a higher, a higher power than them anyway. Or they're like, I've made all this money and I feel like I have done everything I'm supposed to do in the capitalist lifestyle. And then they feel lost. So they resort to this to find those, those hierarchies and powers again, because capitalism doesn't, if you succeed at capitalism, it doesn't give you happiness. It doesn't give you everything that it says it will, um, you know, in, in the brochure. So after people, maybe, you know, they climb all the rungs, they feel lost. Yeah. And they want to cede that power to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Which is not all the reasons for people to seek domination. I think that's the classic one we're always given of like, oh, you're so powered in your life. You need to give it away. It's like, there's plenty of reasons people will want to like play with sex and subverting different, whatever, whether it's a fetish, a kink or other reasons. But that I think is specifically with cis men, um, specifically white cis men. And, you know, that tends to be a lot of the clients because it costs a pretty penny to be able to see us. And those people with privilege tend to have the, the deeper pockets as well. Yeah. Why did you get into it? Why did you, what was your reason for wanting to become a pro-dom? It was a combination of, I had, well, I'd quit my job in advertising because I was so miserable and I was waitressing and I got fired from that. Um, and I needed money and I was determined. I was like, I'm going to do a job I don't hate. So it was, I'd gotten fired from waitressing and I was starting to explore, I mean, I was starting to explore BDSM a bit more in general, but I had met someone who I really liked, who I still really like, who was really into a lot of verbal humiliation and degradation. Um, and I was like, okay, let me learn more about that to see if I'm comfortable with it. And once I got down that rabbit hole, I was like, ooh, I love it. And I'm so good at it. Um, so around that time, then I was like, well, maybe I could think about doing this professionally. I also need money. So that's how I started to explore it then. And the friendships I made through the Dom community healed my relationship with women. Um, it healed a lot of just my trust in women and friendships specifically, but then it also just helped me understand power, these dynamics. I could be this like conniving bitch who said really mean things who I wanted to be when I do it consensually with people. I could manipulate people's minds and understanding that. And it doesn't mean that I'm just like getting to be mean to people because I'm still figuring out what it is that they want, doing it within certain constraints, but I love trash talk. I can't do that that much in the normal world. A little bit in my like fantasy football leagues and things like that, but I adore it. And I adore using my creativity and this is a wonderful outlet for that hmm. well thank you so much for all that this has yes. been like a tour de force uh the last thing that we've done traditionally on intellectual erection uh and again you can choose to participate or or pass on this is a sexy outrageous or fun story that you have from any of your experiences in in doming wrestling all of it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the thing too, is like, I was, I was used to be writing them down, but also like in the pandemic, I just, it's just been so far in few too, but it's easier for me to remember like very fond domination and client stories. Um, just cause there's certain people where, you know, I'll just remember them by something fun that happened. Uh, but what, a really fun session, especially when, cause I think it's just for like funny things that are being said, but there was this young kid 
who sessioned with me and he wanted a lot of like semi-competitive, a lot of trash talk, like everything that I love. So I'm like, great, this is going to be so much fun. I'm going to have a great time. Towards the beginning of the session, I must have like moved a knee while he moved head the wrong way and I bonked him in the nose. So we had a little bit of a bloody nose. So we got some tissue, fixed it up. I was like, sure, you want to continue? We kept going. Um, didn't have any issues with that until the end of the session. And at one point I'm like sitting on his face and I'm like, oh, is this uncomfortable for you? Is it? I'm so comfortable. And I was like, I have the best seat in the house. And then I paused and I was like, I'm in the nosebleed section. And I just hear him <laughs> laughing from underneath of me. And I was like, oh, fuck, that was so good. <laughs> that is really so good. funny. <laughs> I, love I love it. It was so, so, so nice getting to speak to you. And now I, maybe now when I, I talk to you in my head a lot, sometimes it feels like, <laughs> so now I'll be like, oh my God, she responded to me and we had this whole conversation. Uh, there so you go. Yeah, this cool. was really fun. You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking. <laughs>